Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo, yo, yo. We out here. Today is August 19th, 2019. Whoa. What did you guys find new or interesting this week? So I didn't mention this uh, last week, but uh, a few weeks ago, I saw the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, it's Quentin Tarantino, a uh, huge fan of Tarantino, um, Inglorious Bastards, Django, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, From Dust Till Dawn, you name it. I mean, every movie is at a level of consistency, uh, tension build up, good violent twists, etc. Oh, hell yeah. So this movie, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it or you're going to be, I mean, you can be indifferent because that's how I am. There's a lot of good acting by DiCaprio as well as Brad Pitt. Um, the storyline itself, um, it seemed good and enticing. There's just a lot of drawn-out Tarantino-type scenes that this time don't go anywhere. Like There's always build-ups and tension, and it just nothing happens. Oh. But the acting during those scenes is what makes it. The comedy's good. The drama's pretty interesting. Uh, the acting, like I said, is phenomenal. The direction of Quentin Tarantino's good. But again, just I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is his worst movie, flat-out. Yeah. But That's a strong statement. It is, and it's not saying the movie's horrible. It's just what about compared to like Grindhouse or um, Death Proof? Even Death Proof was better than this. Really? Yeah, just for Kurt Russell's Holy appearance shit. alone, dude. Because um, like I said, the acting's very good, but the scenes are just like yeah. you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, and and you know because Tarantino does that where something crazy happens and like just nothing happens. Hmm. Very strange, but again, decent film. Um, my recommendation. Don't spend money to go see it, but if you're a Tarantino film, it is a film. If you're a Tarantino fan, it is worth a shot <laughs> to at least watch. I just wouldn't pay money for it. So, if you were to have one of them wire, uh, water twigs on yeah, your TV, yeah. If you were, um, you know, on the Lodi, yeah. If you uh, can't confirm or deny the aspect, but if you had a, a Lodi with a uh, water twig, I would recommend searching uh, set movie on the water twig. On the water twig. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> you got anything new or interesting this week, Connor? Um, so I mentioned last week that I recently saw Smashing Pumpkins live. I'm going to recommend people check out their newest album, Shiny and Oh So Bright. Um, it's got like a long subtitle. Uh, Shiny and Oh So Bright, Volume 1, LP, No Past, No Future, No Sun. Um, check out the song Silvery Sometimes. It's got... <laughs> Kind of like a 1979 vibe. Okay. Yeah, it's one of the singles. It's pretty good. Where would you put this in the grand scheme of Smashing Pumpkins discography? Uh, Compared to Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness and Siamese Dream. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, I'm saying, but is even if you like enjoy those albums, would you enjoy this? Or is it totally weird Smashing Pumpkins? No, nah, it's not totally weird. If anything, it's a little too normal. Um. I'd say it's like in the top tier of his reunion work. Okay. 
but I mean, it's the first album that's had James Eha and Jimmy Chamberlain both on it since they got back together, the guitarist and the drummer. So, and they kept their third guitar. They kept the guitar player that was in in the interim. So they have three guitars now. Oh, it okay. Really fucking good. Pulling the Foo Fighters, huh? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and the the new guitarist is also really good as well, Jeff Schroeder. That's awesome. Um, it's like, it's heavy. It's it's like heavier than you would kind of expect for Smashing Pumpkins. Like, not it's not like death metal heavy or anything. Oh, obviously, I mean, obviously, but like fucking hmm. um, Smashing Pumpkins heavy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like zero. Yeah, but like slower. It's kind of like a lot of it is like not super fast. Bullet. Mm, I'm trying to think. Cherub Rock. Like, you can't really compare it to any of their old stuff like that. I don't know. It's got to listen to it, find it out. Honestly, kind of reminded me more of something like Soundgarden. Really? Like, like the guitars. Huh. Yeah. Almost like what era like, of Soundgarden are we saying? Bad motor finger, super unknown. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's definitely worth a listen. Yes. Yeah. Um, you got anything, Bill? Yeah. I was going through my wife's Spotify, and I found the song called New Shoes by the singer called Paolo Nutini. Oh, I, I know that song. I got my new shoes on. Yeah. 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 It's a good song. Yeah. Sounds <clears throat> super familiar now that... That's not Connor. new, though, is it? No, no. It's yeah. old, but it's new to me. Yeah. yeah. On this day in music history. Okay, 1967. The Beatles' All You Need Is Love hits number one where it stays for one week. Uh, it's actually kind of like a week showing for the Beatles. Only one week. Yeah, one week. One, yeah. Really. All um, they need is some more time on the chart. Back to the Smashing Pumpkin show. <laughs> <laughs> Noel Gallagher <laughs> opened for the Smashing Pumpkin with his high-flying birds. And they covered "All You Need Is Love" at That's the, cool. uh, at, as the closer, the closing song. It's actually pretty good. So if you're interested in a Noel Gallagher sung cover of "All You Need Is Love," check out their early August uh, appearance in Camden, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> 1968, the final episode of the Monkeys TV show starring the band airs on Prime TV. Um, <laughs> not Prime TV, Prime Time. This was before Amazon. Um, <laughs> Whatchamacallit, uh, what do you guys feel about the monkeys? I, never I don't really mind got the into monkeys. Them, honest to God. I kind of like the monkeys. Uh, I'm indifferent. I like again, they're not. They have some. I don't bangers. know how do I put this. Um, Last trains to Clarksville. Yeah, but they're not an artist that, like, I'll search for to listen to. They just happen to be one of those ones. Like, for instance, like um, you don't think you'll ever want to listen to "I'm a Believer" on your own accord? Oh, no, I'm a believer. Okay, I know the. Monkeys but that's the thing. Out. I don't go out of my way. It's, for instance, certain bands. Um, like even if I put it in a different perspective of music quality, but like Dire Straits, for instance, they have some good songs. And I think it was recently I heard um, "Money for Nothing." Oh yeah, like I just heard it on the radio yeah, randomly. Dire all right. But that's what I'm saying. Like they're a band that I don't actively look for. Same thing with the Monkees. Like if I hear a song by them, like then that'll like refresh my memory and I'll go listen to them because of that. As opposed to scrolling through my phone and Souls of Swing is pretty badass. Yeah, Souls of Swing is pretty good. But yeah, Money for Nothing is a fucking yeah. awesome yeah. song, dude. I want my MTV. Well, that's Mark Knopfler, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's really fucking good. He's yeah. fucking insane. He's insane. Yeah. Excellent guitarist. He's like dude. Steely Dan. He's yeah. underrated. Like, dude, he's like Lindsey Buckingham. Down the dude. Line. Like, yeah, he's yeah. he's underrated. He's like Lindsey Buckingham. Def- Finger picks is. everything, plays some intricate fucking leads. And the dude. video for Money for Nothing was ahead of its time, too. Well ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yep. You know how he gets that tone on that song, that guitar part in the very beginning? Yeah. He puts his guitar, his Les Paul, on the neck pickup setting mm-hmm. and turns, turns his tone, tone all off. The way down. Uh, yeah, turns yeah. it off and he finger picks the whole thing. That's how it gets that like that like synth type. That's almost sound. something Jack White, I feel like, does that sometimes. Yeah, I mean with his solos. It, it's stuff. a cool sound. Yeah. And like if for that song, I couldn't imagine like any other riff to open that song. He probably put his guitar like that and started fucking around. Yeah. And that's probably the riff found he it. came out. Yeah. I mean, it's a definitely a cool riff and it's very memorable too. Yeah. I mean, when that comes on, you know that shit's about to get real. 1969, cleanup begins at Max Yazger's farm in Bethel, New York, where the Woodstock Festival is finished up. Bulldozers are used to wrangle the trash into a pit where it is burned. That shit would be frowned upon today. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Al Gore be over there freaking the fuck out. Well, people act like Woodstock like went perfect, kind of. Like yeah, everything. No. 69 did not go perfect no, at it was, all. It was like a hair away from a disaster. Yeah. In many ways. It was, it's actually probably, at the time, probably just as bad as like 99 was. Yeah, it was worse. Yeah. There was hundreds of cars um, left for days and weeks along yeah. those two lane little mountain routes. You know That's just I mean? crazy. Um, hundreds. Peace and love, man. And then half of them, nobody came back and got. What? <laughs> because they were like, they fell off into ditches and there was no tow trucks. This was 1969 in yeah. rural as New York State. Could you imagine just like forgetting about your car? Like, <laughs> imagine driving three hours. Hey Jim, where'd you where'd your car? Uh, I don't know. I went to Woodstock, but uh, dude, that's exactly how it was. It's crazy. There was only fucking probably twenty different types of cars back then. There was no yeah. imports really, and <laughs> you're fucking walking and you see all these cars and you're just probably like, fuck. There's like. 70 cars exactly like mine <laughs> um yeah and there's no panic button or anything nah. and chances are the you don't chances have are out of those 70, go like yeah yeah and well chances are out of those 70 cars one of them probably has the same key that yours does yep i'm pretty sure emergency uh units or whatever you call them uh like cleared roads and oh, pushed shit. cars out of the way to get shit inside that they needed. <laughs> so it was like a mess. That's um, wild. I know there was like buses that got abandoned, all kinds of crazy shit. My grandfather was there. Yeah, and the bread uh, bread He's, wagon, right? Bread wagon. <laughs> and they called him up on Saturday. He was off and said, We need you up in Bethel Woods now. And he, they said they need fucking bread. And, um, <laughs> Whatchamacallit. Um, I need bread, too. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what he said. He said, all right, I got the kids, so they're going, too. <laughs> um, but um, the cops cleared him, like five cops cleared him away to get in. And then instantly he was there, sold all the bread, and the cops were gone. And he was stuck. It was Saturday. There was still a whole other day. That's and crazy. he was trapped inside. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trapped in the Woodstock. <laughs> like my grand I mean he was only 25 so I mean I'm sure he wasn't hating being there yeah that's His, true. Kid, definitely the, not the twins were six yeah my mom and my aunt so I mean he had two six-year-old girls with him which probably sucked but um <laughs> guys just go hang out in the back of the I'm bread pretty wagon. sure he just kind of <laughs> locked right him in the van back. and said don't leave the van 
Yeah. <laughs> right, he was like, There's a couple loaves back there. You'll be all right. I'm going to go catch Jimi Hendrix, kids. <laughs> 1969, Crosby, Stills, and Nash appear on the Dick Cavett Show, giving a first-hand account of the Woodstock Festival that took place over the weekend. Joni Mitchell, who skipped the festival to make sure she could keep her appearance on the show, performs a song she wrote about it called Woodstock, which <laughs> Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young would obviously later cover. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I mean, for Joni Mitchell, I kind of saw she skipped that opportunity <laughs> to be there, to be able to perform and be on this show. I- <laughs> Fucking Dick Cavett. That's that <laughs> sucks. I mean, because uh, now it's like he, yeah, I'm yeah, like reading dude. that, and I almost had trouble because I was like, wait, what'd she do? Like she <laughs> bailed on the opportunity to be at. Well, it's funny because history. They didn't pro- that's the thing. They didn't project that many people. Obviously. Well, yeah. No one. I mean, obviously, no one knew what it was going to be. That's become. what I'm saying. And it's like, could you imagine now looking back in hindsight? Like I decided to hold off to perform on the Dick Cavett show <laughs> instead of being part of a hey maybe the she, most memorable. Maybe she got I, I skipped Woodstock, but I was on a TV show. I was on the Dick Cavett show. Maybe she could foresee the future 50 years in advance and know that it was going to be a total <sighs> shit show. She, 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 she didn't want to be a part of that fucking legacy. Well, I wrote a song called Woodstock in 69. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Unbelievable. Holy shit. That's, and it's, that it's sucks, like, dude. She probably could have still gone because like, I know CSMY, like, they debated on playing until the last second that they could, and yeah. then they said, "Fuck it, we'll go play." That's and like they, they flew in on helicopters. That's crazy. That's like Neil if- Young has the one song on Tonight's the Night that said, um, "No, I don't like to talk about that helicopter day." <laughs> like, um, it's, it's like some line like that. <laughs> um, Joni could have flew in with them. This is like the equivalent of Bill Gates came up to you and says, hey, listen, I have this corporation called Microsoft. Would you like to invest? It'll only be $50. Fuck you, Bill. It's going to go nowhere. Eat a dick. I'm going on Telemundo. Yeah. Mm. You know what? <laughs> well, it's it's going to flop, Bill. Microsoft's not going to do shit. That's like uh, Frank Zappa. That's He was part of the reason why uh, Led Zeppelin has that name because they said this band's going to go down like a Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and Led Zeppelin took that name because of that. Look at that Garbage shit. has the band name Garbage because they showed the demo to Trent Reznor and he said it sounds like Garbage. Garbage, yeah. yeah. Nope. Eh, that's um, funny. What a dumbass. Neil Young skipped half his set at Woodstock. Really? Yeah. Because <laughs> he was like, I'm up. He's like, he didn't he didn't like the vibe at Woodstock and he'd, um, he was like, trying to kind of play as little as he could in like all the cameras and stuff hmm. and uh he was like i'm not playing on anything from the first album that they did when it was just crosby stills and ash that's he crazy like, he's like when we play the new songs i'll come out because you need me but i'm not i'm not gonna just like noodle on the old shit huh. for the cameras yeah that's crazy um 1972 chicago's lp chicago five hits number one Got any Chicago fans in the house? No. Yeah, I never liked Chicago. Can't say. Yeah, not a huge fan. What was the one? It was Little Nicky, right? Twenty five or six to four. No, no, and Little Nicky, their um, uh, the fucking one dude with the long hair and the glasses was like, check out this shit. No, no, um, it was Ozzy, right? And they were playing like Flying High again backwards, and Little Nicky, uh, Adam Sandler goes up and he's like, look at this. Chicago, and he puts it on and plays twenty five six yeah, to four backwards. backwards yeah, uh, what was it? It was like, um, all hail Lucifer! She'll <laughs> spread the blood of the innocent. <laughs> Chicago kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, Little Nicky's probably my favorite. I'm Sandler. Popeye's chick is fucking awesome. <laughs> 
Shut up today. Fucking 1988. Elvis Presley's Hound Dog is named the most played song in the first hundred of the jukebox. Huh. Whatever that means. I'm guessing they mean like out of like. Maybe jukeboxes came out in 1888. No, no, no. 1888. That's when jukeboxes came out. 1888. Fucking Victrola. I don't know. 1988. No, no, no. I Well, I think. Catch that part. Correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) listeners of the podcast, but I'm pretty sure that the way a you know a jukebox works is depending on how many how many times the song is played. And if it's lower than other ones, it'll slowly move down the list until it's not played anymore, and they'll filter in new songs. Mm. So I guess yeah, this is the most first hundred songs. Damn, that was advanced back then. Yeah, yeah. it's clever. That's smart. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. That's how music should be. I mean, honest to God, it's a really good marketing thing because it's like okay, you know, let's say for instance, you know, Hound Dog was the most played song in the first one hundred songs you could play, then it would fucking constantly be number one all the time yeah so that's got but that just goes to show you that song is getting plays you know what i mean that's almost like streaming today how we were mentioning like what does yeah. the billboard chart really reflect in 1988 this is the former streaming yep any big elvis fans yeah 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 i love elvis it's weird that you're a huge elvis fan that you could say that but you don't like you don't doors. like old shit from before van pink Halen. floyd or, i uh, like elvis i don't know there's something about the fucking guy <laughs> Taking shits and having heart attacks, fucking peanut butter banana sandwiches. I could fuck with the guy. I peanut like it. Peanut butter banana so, sandwiches. That's what I he really, was eating on the shitter when he died. Yeah, he was eating on the shitter while he eating died. eating on the shitter, passing a giant fucking log, and he had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Didn't he have like a Playboy too? I heard he was jerking off when he. Died. I heard he was eating a fucking sandwich. Wow. So. Now I picture him like on a unicycle eating a peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> jerking off with his right, eating a sandwich with his left. I mean, dude, he's Elvis fucking Presley. He can he do whatever he wants. Could, yeah. <laughs> he was probably picking a guitar with his teeth. <laughs> Fuck it. Actually, Elvis wasn't really that good of a guitar player. It was like another Johnny Cash situation. He, well, yeah. Johnny Cash was better than uh, Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, it was, yeah, it was like Elvis, a show. Elvis, like, literally yeah, like could show really play thing. guitar. No, he was just strumming. Yeah, he could play like a couple chords. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and back then they didn't really have to play because they no, had those fucking was... those Memphis dudes that were the like fucking best guitar players in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I enjoy Elvis. I'm not a huge like diehard like you know oh, Elvis no. memorabilia I mean, I'm not everywhere. Put my but... Fucking polyester suit on or nothing. Yeah. but I enjoy his music. But I like Elvis. I like the culture I like that Hound surrounded Dog, it. Jailhouse Rock. Blue suede shoes is really good. Not a little less conversation is really good. A little less conversation. I can't help falling in love with you. Teddy bears, all right. Yeah. Blue Christmas. Um. Don't be cruel. Yeah. Don't be cruel. Yeah, he's got some. That's uh, true. Yeah. I don't be cruel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 1989. Lou Reed breaks his ankle after a sound check in Cleveland and is forced to cancel the remainder of his tour. Like um, I enjoy, I enjoy Lou Reed. Actually, in '89, he had just released the album New York. Um, yeah, and boom, wasn't was it? Did he, is he the one that did? No, it's Tom Waits. Fuck. Yeah, because in '90 he did uh, songs for Drella. Prior to that, in '86 he did Mistrial. But New York actually isn't a bad album. I mean, Do you like songs for Drella? No, no, not a huge fan. Wasn't um the other guy from the Velvet Underground on that the one? In songs from Drella. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was something else. Yeah, uh, Songs of Cal featured John Davies Kale. 
founding member John uh, Kale, yeah, yeah Velvet okay. Underground. So yeah, they did. It was a collab album actually. Wasn't even part of his like studio repertoire. It was a collab album that he did with John Kale. So, yeah. Yeah, I I haven't listened to that, but um I remember reading something. I might have just ended fan. up on the Wikipedia page or something yeah, at some fan. point. 2016, former music mogul Lou Pearlman, creator of NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys, dies at age 62 while serving a 25-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Institution in Texarkana, Texas. In 2008, he was convicted of conspiracy and money laundering related to a massive Ponzi scheme. His massive Ponzi scheme, however, was the success of Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. He's he probably was, one of the top three or so most hated people in music. Oh the yeah, past twenty five years. He um, I watched the Backstreet Boys documentary. Um, show them what you're made of, <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, it shows like it seems in the very beginning that this dude was like a good dude. Like he wanted to give these kids a shot because they all were talented, and like shit got like weird. Like, uh, like everyone in the band was like, um, like, yeah, we watched our first porno with Lou and like, I think Nick Carter was like 13. Like it was, it was a really fucking weird situation. So you got Lou Pearlman sitting there watching porn with 13 year old Aaron Carter with kids. No, Nick Carter, Nick Carter. So Nick Carter was no, wait, when did, when did they release their first bout of music? Backstreet Boys. 96. How old were they? Um, Kevin was the oldest, and I think he was twenty-one. Okay, and Nick Carter was the youngest, and I think he was in—he was a teenager. Wow! So he had been around these kids for a long period of time prior to them actually becoming what a they were. A very long time. Yes. Oh wow! Okay, and yeah, I'm not too familiar other than like the hits by these artists. Yeah. I never really dealt. It, into it's a really background. fucked up story because as Backstreet Boys are having their climb to like massive success, In Sync shows up out of fucking nowhere, and they're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Turns out this dude Lou financed fucking In Sync too, and did the same exact thing with the Backstreet Boys that he's doing with In Sync. And, like, just fucking dropped them off the face of the earth, but he still owned all their shit. Yeah. And it was like, they have, they're fucking under this dude's thumb, and then they fucking sued his ass. Is there a documentary on this? Yeah, it's called um, Show Them What You're Made Of, Backstreet Boys. It's a movie. It's on Netflix. Is it? Yes. Right now? Yep. All right. And honestly, I mean, I know you're not a boy band fucking fan, but it's a crazy story. And it, it kind of shows you how it kind of fucks these dudes up at a young age. I mean, obviously, the movie's about them making a new album, but the underlying thing is, like, how fucked up their childhood was, basically, because of this fucking guy. And it's just so weird that he would, you know, like, manipulate these kids. Yeah, and, like, I think a couple of them had, like, a really bad home life. Like, Nick Carter, I know, had a bad home life. And he like looked up to this dude like a, like a father figure, and he's just like fucking just fucked him like hard, metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking, but okay. then again, we don't know what happened behind closed doors. This is doors. very true. You don't get the fucking Backstreet Boys level of success without having a little fucking you know sacri- sacrifice. So we're uh, allegedly saying that nothing happened. However, the possibility remains. 
that they haven't come out and said anything. There is no confirmation. But yeah, like I said, if you ever want to give it a shot, it's called Show Them What You're Made Of on Netflix. Yeah, because I'm not a a huge boy band fan. I mean, obviously, I grew up, so that music was relevant at the time. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing with artists as a pop culture today. Like, I'm not going to go out and invest in their music, but if I hear it on the radio, there are some guilty pleasures, quote unquote. So Backstreet Boys was like that for our time. And at the age when you're developing a taste of music, obviously, anything at any point is going to be okay. Okay. I think I used mm-hmm. to rock out the fucking Fallout Boy all the time. Just sugar, we're going down, just because I didn't know shit about music. Really. Exactly. Um, but no, that's interesting because again, I never really thought about that in that perspective. When you say the age of these people, and yeah, they were coming and they the, were little kids. Yeah, music industry, and then obviously with Lou Pearlman, I didn't realize he had a relationship with them like prior to this music being like actually put out on market. Yeah, like fucking Pearlman, dude. He he was a major. He was a businessman in Florida. And wow. he owned stake in a lot of different companies, and he had jets and boats and a fucking mansion. It was nuts. So he, like, courted these kids, essentially. Yeah. Like, That's Kevin, the oldest one, was working at Disneyland at the time, and he was, like, an Aladdin. He was, like, the like the characters that walk around. He yeah. was Aladdin, and he would do the stage show, and that's where Lou found him and pulled him from there and gave him an allowance of, like, $300 a week. The only guilty pleasure Backstreet Boys song that seeped into me was Larger Than Life. That song's good. Yeah. When that song came out, I liked it. You, you got to admit, though, at my fucking wedding, that shit was fire. Us walking out to fucking uh, everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Backstreet's back. All right. Dude, that shit was so cool. You yeah. should have been there. Yeah. I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree. <laughs> Agree with you there. That was a good moment, man. Yeah, you weren't there. Sorry, bud. You're doing other things. Yeah, I was. Uh, well, I wasn't doing anything at that church point. Retreat. I was uh, <laughs> another church retreat. Yeah, I was in a church retreat in uh, Mount Holly, New Jersey. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, well, that church retreat. <laughs> that church retreat wasn't by choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. We have. <laughs> we have to exercise the evil out of this boy. Yeah. Spent 11 months at camp. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Music news. Today in music news, August 19th, 2019, Katy Perry and her Dark Horse collaborators lose copyright lawsuit against Marcus Gray. Um, a jury has found that Katy Perry and her collaborators on her hit single Dark Horse and Capitol Records owe Christian rap artist Marcus Gray millions of dollars. The nine-member jury previously found the songwriting team behind the 2013 hit, including the song's co-creators, Dr. Luke and Cricket, um, have copied Gray's 2008 song, Joyful Noise, and on August 1st decided a grand total of $2.78 million owed for the copyright infringement. Perry, who is 34, will be responsible for a little more than $550,000, while Capitol Records will bear, bear the brunt of the amount, the AP reports. Okay, I watched a video on this recently. Mm-hmm. The the um, why am I running a fucking blank here? What the song? The similarities. The similarities between the two songs. Oh, are, so it's another one of those cases. He she didn't actually what sample his music. She did not sample it. So Dark Horse just sounds very familiar to no, this dude. Rat. It's so fucking not even familiar. It's not even funny. Well, obviously, it's they use three notes, three notes that are the same. Like you know, um, um, 
in the song like the like the um dun, 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 yeah yeah the very dun, beginning dun, that those three notes are used in this jerk off song in that order but different tempo and the fucking lyrics don't sound alike the beat isn't the same there's no hook that's the same it is entirely 100% a different song they just use the same three notes well he won it's uh, fucking crazy. I'll yeah. have to show you the video when we're done here. This is what bothers me. It's disgusting. Me. Yeah, I don't like that stuff. Where it's well, this is what bothers literally me. What disgusting. Do you, what do uh, you expect? They need to start establishing some ground rules unless you deliberately rip off a song. Yes. I mean, because you think about how many songs have been played since even like the days of classical. Because sometimes when they go it's back, restrictive. even with, even with yeah. Stairway to Heaven, they went back to like blues songs from like... Yeah. Decades prior, like this is the same chord and just a dip. Like, well, I mean, look the, at the chord progression from like when I come around and glycerine and yeah, how about when I come around beans, and skulls, another kid, it's another literally planet. the same exact chords. Yeah, is it skulls? Yeah, and, and when, skulls. I, come, when yeah. I come around, that same chord progression is in tons of well, even rock more songs. of an instance. Like, look in the rap world. Like, remember that little John song, Let's um, Go? Yep, Let's Go. Yeah, blatant ripoff of Crazy Train. Then you were talking about Yellow Wolf earlier. Yellow Wolf has a song that samples for uh for whom the bell tolls. Like it like the beat is then the fucking bell in the beginning. And like, then it changes. But they, they just he sampled sam- it, right? Yeah, there's yeah, a but he samples it. That's what I'm sampling, saying. Though. And then there's an idea of when you create a song and it sounds very similar and they're able to kind of like like if you were watching when they did the whole case for Stairway to Heaven for Zeppelin and mm-hmm. you saw the amount of records and like, you know, posters that we're putting up to show the different chords and playing the songs and getting the exact science behind both the songs they were trying to compare to. It's ridiculous because at some point in time, yes, you'll find similarities. And with this saying that's the same notes. Yeah. Dude, what are you expecting? It's fucking nuts. And it's perfect with, well, it's easy to like talk about this with music because you have 12 notes Yeah, in the chromatic scale. You have twelve notes. That's fucking it. You have to look to see what other people did with them. Exactly. Like I, I've heard interviews where I forget who In the it words was. Of Quincy Jones. <laughs> In case everybody forgot. And yeah, it's twelve notes. The best is though, it's like as you think about oh, it. Yeah, I forgot that's I where it came think, from. <laughs> could you imagine the amount of effort it would take if you were like, you know, a trendy pop star like Katy Perry, for instance, to go dig through so many types of artists prior to releasing a song and then all of a sudden like you just like, all right, we think we got this, and all of a sudden Marcus Gray comes out of nowhere. Well, fucking rip me off. Yeah, like, and dude, like, I, some this, of these people are the most got girl. like a Christian Grammy or something in two thousand eight. We're talking about five fucking years, dude, since that song came out. Five years. And then now, 2013 was when Dark Horse came out. So it's another six years. So you're telling me it took six years for you to find out that they used the same three notes? Get fucking real. They probably worked on it for that long to figure out exactly how they were going to sue because he was probably struggling. It was like, this is an opportunity. And guess what? You know, just from Katy Perry alone, he's getting 550K. Yeah. So look at that. He's getting 2.78 million total. And you know how many Maybe more people? Start suing people who yes, I'm saying. You know how many people this enables yeah, right? just the to fuck? fucking yeah, dude, just write something, record it. <laughs> yeah, write something and record it, and then Alice and Chance comes out with their new album. Listen, I love you guys. Your decision was actually my song. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote this in my mom's basement in 2006. I need it. I need some credit. We can sell voice. out a court for five hundred thousand dollars right now before I slander you. <laughs> like, there's come on, a, dude. It's not. It's it, like, what are you expecting? It's it's ridiculous. And the amount of money they had to pay this fucking jerk off. 
I mean, I don't know who Marcus Gray is. Two point seven eight million dollars. So much fucking money for three notes. Yeah, that's a million dollars per note. Do you know how much money we'd all have right now if we got paid a million dollars per note that we've ever played? That's uh, super religious of you, there, Marcus Gray. A million dollars for just three of the notes I played. (laughs) Marcus Gray, what a douchebag! All right, speaking (laughs) of douchebags, Echo Smith drummer apologizes for messaging Travis Barker's thirteen-year-old daughter. Echo Smith drummer is 20. Um, Travis Barker speeding out, speaking out after his underage daughter received direct messages from an adult member of the pop rock band Echo Smith. Um, earlier this week, Barker's 13-year-old daughter, Alabama, with ex Shauna Mochler, shared, shared since-deleted screenshots of Instagram direct messages she allegedly received from Graham Sirita, the 20-year-old Echo Smith drummer. The Blast published the alleged screenshots on Thursday. The earliest messages, including, by the way, I'm Graham from Echo Smith, and I think you're beautiful, date back to 2016 when Alabama was 10 years old. Then a few weeks ago on July 12th, um, Sierra to, uh, appeared to invite Alabama to a barbecue. Alabama, an aspiring musician, responded, you're like 40. Sierra to re- replied, I just wanted to say I really like your music and sorry for messaging, and I'm 20. Alabama counter. Okay, but you understand I'm a child. That's so, insane. Do you guys know who Echo Smith is? No. They sing that song, Cool Kids? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wish that I could yeah. like the cool kids. Yeah. Like the cool kids. So you're going to message Travis Barker's kid? <clears throat> Here's the thing, and I was actually going to discuss this because with this topic alone, it brings up the idea that some of these people aren't really understanding boundaries and try to play it off as harmless texting. Mm-hmm. Person you're familiar with, Bill Connor, as well. Stranger Things. Yes. Millie, Bo- Millie Bobby Brown. Yeah. It's come out to light 11. that there's a very weird relationship between her and, you know, pop star of our time, Drake. It's what? come out. What? Oh yeah, this you never read Isn't about she this? Like oh, you don't know about this? Oh you got it. Yeah. Last She's November like fifteen or sixteen now. This was actually an article um, that's weird. And this article is from September. Yeah. Yeah, listen. And she probably met him when she was younger because when mm-hmm. the show started, she was probably like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. Very so this young. article and it's actually gone on further since the uh new episodes and the new season was released, but this article yeah. is from September of twenty eighteen where it said the, the November prior, uh Millie Bobby Brown met for the first time with Drake at a backstage concert in Australia. Uh, fast forward nearly 12 months later now, of this being September 2018, uh, their friendship has evolved to become, well, quote-unquote, much stranger thing. Um, it says, while attending Emmys last weekend, Brown spoke to Access Hollywood about their bond. They're apparently a text on a regular basis. Millie Brown came out to say, I love him, she said, adding that he is, quote-unquote, a great friend and great role model. Uh, we just texted each other the other day, and he was like, I miss you so much. And I was like, I miss you more. He's great. This is the thing. Yeah, that's You will defend yeah, this to say sick. harmless text messaging, right? But it's not weird to say that these guys and these big artists do this and have some weird crave for like these young artists and, you know, talents and then eventually they hit 18 and they this is this is what I'm talking about with this 20-year-old reaching out to a 13-year-old. And I mentioned it earlier as well with the Lou Perlman thing, the idea of courting. Yeah. It's it's fucked up because that article is from 2018. This actually got brought to my attention Ooh. um 
It's when like last year, yeah, no, yeah, you're th- younger. But this is the thing. This actually got brought to my attention because there was another type of instance like this after the season had premiered just recently, where yeah. more stuff has come out about their relationship, even more evolving of text messaging. And Millie oh Brown's come God. out to defend that is harmless, and it may be. I mean, this is just speculation, but then it coincides with this entire thing with this Echo Smith drummer. You're 20 years old. Telling a 10 or 13 you're, you're year old that she's years, beautiful. Yeah, you're 20 years old. Okay, unless this is a family member of yours, which even two is not far fetched to say and out of the realm of doing some inappropriate shit. Yep. But how fucking well, first of all, do you know this person to be saying that type of comment? And the fact that you're saying that type of comment, there's something else there. And it coincides with what I'm saying here with the Drake Millie Brown thing. Like, it's yeah. just very disturbing. And We're this is the same thing when you talk about like, the mainstream, like David Bowie. David Bowie with him, you know, yeah. the, what he did back in the day in different times then, but now like it's so more apparent and these artists are like committing that same type of act or behavior leading that direction. Yep. And it's, it's fucking disturbing. It is. It's very disturbing. It's the fucking, it's strange. It, it's, it's fucked up. That that's the time we thing. live in. It's, it's crazy that we live in a place to where it's this kind of shit can happen and just as easy as it does. Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Two words. That's fucking crazy. All right. A darker tone for Rage Against the Mainstream. Yeah, shit is getting heated today. Yeah. All right. The last thing we got here in music news is the Prince Estate reissuing three mid nineties LPs with rare out of print material. Oh, that's very good. I like this. Um, the Prince Estate mm. is reissuing three mid nineties Prince albums: The Versace Experience, Prelude to Gold. Chaos and Disorder and Emancipation on September 13th via Sony's Legacy Recordings. The three titles will be available individually and in bundled CD plus LP formats in the late on, uh, via the late artist website. Um, Prince originally released the Versace Experience for the gold in July 1995 as a limited edition promo only cassette of previously unheard material gifted to attendees of the Versace runway at the Paris Fashion Week. The rare item preview, the rare, the rare item previewed his seventeenth album, The Gold Experience, including remixed versions of of the songs "P Control," uh, "Gold," and "I Hate You," along with unreleased cuts from the New Power Generation, um, the uh, the MPG Orchestra, and his jazz fusion act, Madhouse. While the Prince Estate uh, released a limited edition reproduction of the cassette for Record Store Day 2019. The reissue will now be available on CD, vinyl, and digital formats. The Prince Estate previewed the Versace reissue with a club mix of Pussy Control, later later retitled P Control. So how's I everybody's mean, P Control here? That's cool. We're all adults, the- right? <laughs> <laughs> that's changing, cool. He's re-releasing uh, those <laughs> albums because they were rare in the first place. He's they, they were like promos and yeah. handouts to people who attended certain things, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, most albums are out of print. Yeah. Like, they don't print up CDs like they used to. You no. know what I mean? Like, And for them to do this, it's a big deal. Like, I think I read something at some point that, like... So, the Pixie's second album, Doolittle, is considered, like, a good physical format seller. And this was a couple years ago, even. but And it was only selling 500 copies a week. Oh, wow. Nevermind, at the same time, was featured in the article... And I think it was selling like fifteen hundred copies a week, which was like really good for what an old album like that. This was like a couple years ago. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
I mean, that's some shit. I mean, like, actually, that's probably including. That could be including vinyl sales too. Actually, I would assume so because especially yeah. with the rise in vinyl sales, yeah. especially in the past, you know, five ten. Well, still fifteen hundred dollars for a physical or fifteen hundred items like physical copy. That's still pretty good. In a streaming yeah. era, yeah. Of you course. know, I mean, we, we, you got to figure like Spotify and Apple Music became very big. What twenty? 16. Yeah. Well, I remember 2014, I had Spotify. Uh, so, yeah, but Apple Music, even so. I mean, I yeah, it's 20. Spotify. I buy CDs. Yeah, I don't have Spotify. I have Apple Music, though. Yeah, I have I do, Spotify. I do uh, leech off my fiance's Apple account. <laughs> yeah. Prior to that, I was downloading music, uh, allegedly downloading music off the internet. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. Never admitting to anything only, here. Only music that is legally able to be downloaded off the internet. You don't think so? No, I do think so. Oh, you wouldn't yeah. do anything illegal. Absolutely not. No. It's like those, uh, you wouldn't steal a car, would you? Those like old uh, <laughs> <laughs> pirating commercials. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you don't know me, dude. <laughs> Tell me I would steal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, with the Prince thing, uh, the topic, you know, obviously brings up... Um, I typically don't really think about this, but then it, it really does make me think at the same exact time and the idea of like reissues and remasters, mm-hmm. right? Because here's, here's what really bothers me sometimes because you get a reissue that typically doesn't offer new material or even so much as like edit the production quality to kind of make it a little more edgy, more, a little more polished. And you end up having these artists re-releasing albums for really what sake other than to just bring them back to the spotlight, try to make them more relevant. That or money. Exactly. You know? It's the idea of like a money grabbing thing. Cause I mean, really, what are you losing at the end? I mean, I don't know what the cost value goes into being able to produce and, you know, set up market for these, these albums. But I think in sale terms, back in the day when CDs and stuff were being purchased, it was like a good money-grabbing opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Um, it, it made me um, happily surprised to see that they, the Prince Estate was reissuing CDs yeah. and not just like vinyls and, and a download or on cert, uh, streaming platforms. That's, well, yeah. that's what I like, yeah, because yeah. it's even... Um, you know, I, I'm trying, and the thing about it is, with buying CDs, like I'm more so inclined to buy vinyls now because I think the the quality of music you'll be able to hear from it. Um, but going into like the remastered aspect of it and like the reissues, um, I mean, for you guys, do you can you really think of any that like maybe or so are like absolutely worth a listen in the remaster as opposed to the original pressing, or even some that like just shouldn't even have been re released. Or maybe even some that just were re-released that actually just had bonus content that's worth the reissue alone. Well, the only remastered albums that I've owned and have also owned the original pressings of were the Van Halen albums, the David Lee Roth era. And um, not they only, remastered 1984? Hell yeah, they yeah. remastered all of them. Yeah. And um, not only did I own Van Halen 1 on vinyl, but I also owned it on cassette and CD and remastered. And the remastered vers- versus the original pressing CD, it's just cleaner, you know. I mean, yeah, it's 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 more like I don't Full. know. Yeah, it's it's like it's like shimmery, you know. Like, but you take that and then you go back to the vinyl or the cassette. But like, I don't know. It's just like a, it was like a weird feeling. Like you put on that fucking vinyl and it like puts you like you're there. 
Yeah. And I feel like when they start getting remasters and stuff and they start remastering albums, it almost loses the magic of what that album originally was. Yeah. You know Sometimes what I mean? it's worth it, I think. Sometimes sure. it needs it. If the band takes a hands-on or the artist takes a hand-on approach, hands-on approach with the process of remastering yeah. it and redoing the mix, um, I think a lot of times it comes out really well. Um, yeah. Like I'll take Nirvana because for me that's a that's my band that I really dive deep into yeah. and everything. Um, Bleach hmm. was done, I think, with involvement from Chris Novoselic, um, Chad Channing, and Jack and Dino, and the dudes at Sub Pop. So they were all the people involved. It was basically just minus Kurt Cobain. Yeah, it was all the people that were there in the beginning trying to make a good. Um, remastered remastered album because so, they they always felt like there was things that if they could go back maybe they would change this yeah. and it would make it better. So the Bleach 20th anniversary came out in 2009. It was double disc. It mm-hmm. had like a live concert on the second disc or something from the time, which was also really good. Um, never mind. So I have the. Target, like, 20-song version of it, which has the remastered album and then seven choice, like, rarities and B-sides and stuff. And then I have the deluxe four-vinyl 25th anniversary of it, which has, I think, uh, the original mix, the new 2013 or 2011 mix, Mm -hmm. and... um, and a bunch of other rarities and live stuff and whatnot. And um, the rarities and the live stuff, it's nice to have. Yeah. Um, but the actual mix itself, I think they got it's they got happening. roped into the loudness war with it. Um, they just turned stuff up. It seemed like, and it, yeah. and if you if you listen to the original copy of Nevermind, the original any CD that you bought before the remaster came out, uh, I think that's a... I don't know. I've heard some people say that the old one sounds better in the room and the new one sounds better on headphones. Uh, I've never well, listened to it on headphones. Yeah, but it so. should sound better everywhere. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I don't know. It, it, it's really nice to have like newer shit you haven't heard before, rarities or B sides or even live material. I think that shit's cool, but the source material should be the best quality about it. In utero, they got Albini. It was like Bleach. Yeah, they they got the band. They got Albini. They hand, they did it great. In utero, the remaster was exactly how. It was it was awesome. Yeah, like Kurt Cobain even famously had problems with the end result of the production on In Utero. Hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, and um, that was like super controversial before the album came out because they brought in the super punk producer to do like this mainstream ass album, and then they wanted to remix it. And uh, people were saying that Nirvana was selling out, and they bowed to the label and didn't stick with what the a uh, credentialed punk producer was saying to do hmm. and all that but the remix sounds way better 
Are you talking about the uh, the Butch Vig ones? No, that, that Albini. Oh, oh you're talking about Utero, saying yeah. it was good. Well, because I remember uh, the With the Lights Out uh, compilation. There's like different different versions. This is like Butch Vig remix and stuff well, like that. Well, originally, were... Butch Vig did a mix of Nevermind, mm. and I think Kirk Cobain didn't like it, or the label didn't like it, or something, and they brought in Andy Wallace to mix it, and that's that one. Oh, that's okay, the that's what that the difference the is, is like mm-hmm. the original mixes by Butch. Yeah, oh, wow. I think they put the Smells Like Teen Spirit Butch Vig mix on Nevermind on the With the Lights Out box set to uh, just kind of show what uh, it just kind of like gives you a brief glimpse into what Nevermind would have sounded like if yeah. Butch Vig mixed it. Hmm. Well, it's funny because you mentioned too the idea like you know some of these artists don't have the real opportunity to like make this album and then like when they start to progress and become something in their career they look at some of their earlier work and will like the opportunity to con- like for instance yeah. I-, I mentioned this to you earlier bill like the one remaster that comes to mind that i actually enjoy more than the original studio version is mm-hmm. killing is my business and business is good by yeah. megadeth the funny thing about that is is really knowing the backstory of that um they started recording in 85 the band only was given eight thousand dollars <laughs> by combat to record and produce its debut album um they were actually forced they fired the original producer to produce the album themselves and also too they were all pretty much on heroin so they spent majority of that eight grand on drugs and alcohol yeah but they were able to still put down this album in 2002 they went out and did the remaster and it's funny because the remaster is typically the one that's more so available on streaming networks yeah. oh, okay. um, they and usually that, put the newest version on. I mean, because you think about that. I mean, you're given eight grand. Mm-hmm. That's like a local. Dude, that's a band. joke even now. Yeah, that's you're, that's yeah. like a local band trying to like put out a quick something, and you're Megadeth, who's Mustaine just getting kicked out of Metallica. Eight grand would be like a demo now. Yeah, and eight grand for a bunch of active heroin users trying to record yeah. an album. What the fuck? That's fucked The Marky so, Moon by television Mar- was a great remaster. Perfect example as well. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, so there's some where just for, like you say, like raw material that was put out there that didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, even think about Static Age. Static Age took so long to come out. That was their first recorded work, but it didn't come out until the 90s. The, another remaster I always like to bring up, another remaster thought or whatever you call it, um, Rage Against the Machine. Um, Their first album doesn't sound... The original versions of it, it's just not as strong of a production as their second and third album. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Even though their first album is the most classic. So, like, that's, like, a situation where, like, that's an album that's definitely going to get remastered. Where, like, you have a band who put out, like, their most revered work... um, but then their other albums had better, you know, production. Yeah. And that's that's true when you say that, because like for instance, like um, Evil Empire, they didn't touch. Yeah, but Battle I'm saying like Battle Angeles, for Los Angeles. But it's it's funny because Battle of Los Angeles, the songs are very good, but then the productions like what ma- like Born of a Broken Man, yeah. dude, it's mm-hmm. just like heavy as fuck. And you figure like you know, Killing in the Name, and some of those songs that were widely known off that album, like. Their songs are what made that album. Yeah. Whereas the production value of the songs on the later two albums is what makes because Evil Empire. I would say on Battle Lost and Evil Empire is all like Evil Empire is my favorite album yeah, by then, and I think it's yeah. like it's hand in hand because the song quality is good, but the production's there. I the think production if, on Evil Empire is like 
insanely it's, good. It's like mm-hmm. perfect for I rage, I think that was Brendan O'Brien. I think that was like right r- around when he did Super Unknown and stuff. Like he was. It's such a good album, dude. Yeah. And even about like all three of their albums are just. Oh my God, they're classics. But that's the thing. If you imagine they had the recording quality and production of, let's say, Battle for Los Angeles, but now? the songs written for the self-title. Oh, yeah. That'd be insane. Wow. By the way, we're talking about Rage Against the Machine, not Rage Against the Mainstream, not to be confused with the podcast you're currently listening to. We're obvious fans of the Oh, uh, no. Uh, yeah. Super Unknown was done by Michael Bynorn. Oh, okay. I forgot about that. I think... Bynorn is Finkel. I, I know. I know. Finkel it's... is Bynorn. <laughs> Bynorn is Finkel. Brandon That's O'Brien did call. a bunch of crazy stuff, though. He did, like... A bunch of 90s albums. We don't have to go into all of them, but props to Brendan O'Brien. All right, so before Your we get into... don't need to be remastered, it seems. Yeah. This is going to turn <laughs> into kind of a dual topic because uh, the review that we're going to carry on after this is... Uh, it's going to have enough discussion because there's more than just a documentary that we just watch kind of parallels with like the you know what we've been talking about with Woodstock and just the modern day of way music is. But to kind of wrap this up, if you could pick... A remaster to recommend that you would say is better than the original. Ride the lightning. Ride the lightning. By Ride the lightning's remaster, I think, is better than the original pressing. What about? Did you ever the hear the white album? <laughs> That's yours, Beatles. Honestly, yeah, it's either the white album or Marky Moon. Yeah, and mine's obviously going to be Megadeth's first album, Killing Is My Best. The White Album is um, a great remaster compared to the original CD pressing of it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you something, Bill, because you mentioned Ride the Lightning real quick. Yeah. What do you think about the uh, reissue or like redone version that never actually was released, but you can find recordings of it, I believe, of the extra bass added in the mix for Injustice for All? Yeah. Dude, let's put it this way. For the longest time on my iPhone, when I actually had like the music app and yeah. I didn't use Spotify, the only version of Injustice for All that I had was the one with the bass, bass added. added in, right? Yes. It's fucking awesome. Like I allegedly downloaded all of them from youtube yes allegedly. with all the bass and i had those are the ones i had on my phone dude because da- they were so much better i allegedly went on a torrent site and allegedly downloaded the same version of said album by said band has metallica <laughs> remastered on um changing the topic has metallica remastered injustice for all that's what I'm saying. They never, know. they never actually. I don't think they. No, ever... the what we're talking about though is if you go on YouTube and type in yeah, "Injustice yeah. for uh, Jason" or "Injustice for Bass," <laughs> yeah. the, the whole album's on there with bass, and it's amazing. Careful, I heard they're not too keen on this. Um, <laughs> what the the bass on "Injustice for All" or people downloading their people, music? Uh, yeah, the latter. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this information as well. But anyways, I think they remastered Kill 'Em All to Master of Puppets. Yeah, I think so because I don't remember I ever like seeing an Injustice for All remastered at all. But did they? What happened with the bass on Injustice for All? Is there um, no bass? Is it just turned the hell down? It's a fucking he said, see, he said, she said bullshit because Lars would be like, "Oh no, it was the producer." Then the producer was going, "No, Lars flat out said, don't put it in there." Like when you hear it with bass added, it it makes those songs so much better. Like, in my opinion, the production on yeah, Injustice see, I feel for like All that's is very why I thin. never really liked Injustice for All. Yeah, because it's much. thin sounding. Yeah, I like, like Master and uh, it's so Ride like two dimensional. All way better. 
But I'm telling you, you listen to "And Justice for All" with the bass added; it'll change your opinion on that. Like to album. me, "And Justice for All" is almost like it, they're getting into black album territory. So yeah, they're getting there. It's it's still better and good and top notch metal. But yeah, but they, they are just, making the moves to step away from th- like the thrash they were doing in the early exactly. days to the, towards the black so, album. Just a side note to stay factual here at Rage Against the Mage Dream in September 6, 2018 and Metallica actually did release in November of that year, 2018, a remaster for Angels for All. Uh, the reissue was available, obviously, in multiple formats. It included expanded and deluxe editions that include previously unreleased materials such as demos, rough mixes of songs, video content, live albums, and band interviews. But if you notice in that paragraph, it says nothing about the bass. However, at the very end, all they do to say is this album also carried with it a share of controversy because bassist Jason Newstead's parts were virtually mixed out of the record. At <laughs> never any point do they even say that that's what they were focused on in enhancing this album, trying to like. Dude, Metallica is the exact band that would be like, no, we're still keeping the bass low as hell. Like, don't yeah, turn exactly. the bass up. You know what? Make I've everything heard everything else better, but still don't turn the bass up. I could see them doing that. <laughs> could you imagine like somebody who has like a friend of theirs like record bass parts and they go in behind their back and cut those bass parts out? Could you imagine something like that? I've <laughs> I've never heard of anybody doing that. That before. sounds so god damn. I know I've never done anything like that. Yeah, who I've could treat Jason like, like that? that? What animals? Last week we reviewed. Well, last week we recommended you guys to watch. Fire, the greatest party that never happened on Netflix. Um, with the recent, with the recent, um, you know, cancellation of Woodstock Fifty, this Fire Festival basically is, in a nutshell, what Woodstock Fifty would have been if their sponsors didn't pull out. When I saw. The one guy, the the guy who was like Billy's, um, the old guy with the gray hair. Yeah. Um, uh, Andy. Yeah. Andy. Um, when he said that any major music festival like that with infrastructure even should be months. 12 months out, yep. yeah. that made me think of Woodstock and made me think of the New York area where that's at. Yeah. And think, yeah, that's a festival that's like 50% the way to, to being in the Bahamas or like maybe a quarter. Like it's. It's got infrastructure, but it's bare bones up there, even still. Like to get into the Woodstock site where it originally was, it's you have to like get on a dirt road. Yeah. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, well, with Fire Festival, you had to get there by fucking plane and then hang out in the dirt. Here's the thing, and this was the biggest aspect of it. Obviously, we're not going to go into a detailed description about what it was because you obviously should have seen it. And if you haven't, even if you don't listen to our recommendations, just Google this shit because this is like a must watch. Um, Oh, yeah. There's a guy at one point at the end after everything's exposed. I forget who he is. He's on a talk show and he pretty much said, and I was telling you this, Bill, like this was Darwinism as its finest. Yeah, 100%. All these rich people just got fucking brought to a mosquito haven. This was seriously (laughs) a guy. Have to fly back. Yeah, he was just an excellent salesman. His only entire 
um, background was those uh, cards. The Magnesis. Magnesis cards. Which um, was essentially just a card that piggybacked off your bank account that yeah, it allowed you, But yeah, it allowed you through that company to get ticket prices more exclusive. And I mean, this is the thing. People are so weary about self-image being the best exclusive things. Instagram likes, follows. This was literally a millennial, a millennial trap. It's exactly what it was. And yeah. I find out That's all uh, this guy, Billy McFarlane, he mm-hmm. was born December of 91. This guy's 14 days are so older than me yeah so here it is he's really playing on the idea of his generation his culture and he took advantage of it when the guy was mentioning the darwinist you have to figure all they did was they created this app the app to promote it they created this festival and they had Mm -hmm. celebrities and instagram type models go out there and just post 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 and it just blew up people were pulling contracts out of coachella for this so but here's the thing even at the end when he's on bail and he's still pulling the same bullshit trying to scheme people and they were able to find out google this find out met gala doesn't even offer tickets how is he offering tickets they were figuring out the scam all these people that literally got on that plane and actually flew out there without seriously doing some research because there was a yeah. guy even trying to expose on, on the Twitter. Twitter. He yeah. took pictures to show that the new location was right next to Sandals Resort. It wasn't an isolated island. No. He was showing pictures of a fly around of these tents and everything. Yeah, which were hurricane relief tents. Hurricane relief tents. Even when you showed up to the site, it looked like a third world country. Yeah. It was fucked up, and they did it on the same weekend as like a regatta. So there was so, no houses for anyone to yep. stay in. It was just ridiculous. Yep. It was just extremely poor planning. Didn't it, they lie too and say they that, deliberately um, lied? Yeah. Well, yeah. Obviously, they lied yeah. a lot about but, everything. Um, but didn't they? They never really fess up to the fact that the the island was no longer Pablo Escobar's former island. No, what, no, they weren't allowed to. They, they weren't they allowed did. to actually mention his. They name got kicked or off that island. That's they why they got kicked off. They had to go find all those things because a week but or did two they weeks ever before fess the because yeah. they put that in the one post. It was it, Pablo's Island, though. Not yeah. the one they ended up. No, 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 no. To do that it they at. did. They said that the they had one to that relocate. They brought the yeah, right by to sandals. Do the photo shoot. Yeah, that was Pablo that Escobar's was Pablo Island. That's what I'm They did admit when they said they had to relocate. That was already uh, explained because the pictures that had that. came out where the location was that exposed it wasn't a, like a, an isolated island. Yeah. That's when they came out, like, we're at a new site, da 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 da. And then obviously at that point, they shut down the whole Pablo thing. But yeah, I mean. They did expose it at first because that's where they did get the shoots for the promotional video. But yeah, they did come out and say they moved locations because they had to obviously direct people to this new location. I mean, it makes no sense to like, yeah, it, it's a fantasy. You yeah. you can't do a giant Woodstock or Coachella in the middle man, of the ocean. Anything. You can't fly thousands and thousands of people. Well, no, the problem is you can and bring all the food and all. Well, the problem is you can do this. But it needs to be planned accordingly. Like if me, like if us three decided right now that they're like a Woodstock type festival in the fucking Bahamas. Well, I'm I'm just saying like small town, like let, like let's say it's too expensive. We're gonna Put go to like way. Sicklerville. No, no, no. Put it this way: the difference was is they actually had a plot amount of how many people they could actually fit. That was the issue. Yeah. They booked it so much in advance that they didn't really take the time to strategize how many people they could actually fit. And yep. if you made this an actually quote-unquote exclusive event instead of inviting, what, 700 people? I think it was a lot because there was 350. Yeah. They said they were going to be totally without anywhere to stay. Yep. Yeah. But if you invited just an exclusive amount, let's say 400 people, okay? 
Uh, but yeah, here was the I'm, thing. I'm thinking this was like Woodstock. No, size, no, no. Like, like they, they weren't expecting. And that's no. the thing. In the Bahamas sense, it would have been easier because then you have to limit. Like people can't just start showing up randomly like Woodstock. Yeah, yeah but that's the I mean? thing, though. They only invited the 700, but then they started. Ex- they forgot about out. the influencers that they promised and all yes. these other people they and promised. And the reason why they were doing this and having more people come was to fund more things that were happening of that course, they were they had losing to keep money selling for. more tickets and they had no intention of doing anything about that except I, getting I was money. telling you before about the the other documentary about Fire Festival it's on Hulu yeah it's it, it it pretty much mirrors this one but it goes in depth a little more and it shows you like where the money was going how much was actually missing yeah and you know I they well keep they broke saying, that down a bit on Netflix too. They actually did like, like plot details. It was like a lot. Day, right? Yeah, they said uh, he was claiming that uh, it was like revenue of up to twenty four something million dollars when really he only made like sixty grand or something yeah. like yeah. that. It was ridiculous. Yeah, they're showing numbers and, and stuff. um, Jesus Christ. It was annoying me when they kept saying this. This Billy McFarlane guy was a genius. Yeah, he's not a fucking genius at all. Yeah. He just knows how to scam people out of money. It yeah. was like what the one guy said at the end with the cognitive dissonance, where he just didn't believe that he was going to jail. This yes. is a dude that got told for so many years now that he was such a good entrepreneur, and you're you do yeah, he was everything you do way in terms of, of the gold yep. that he believed he became he believed it probably, but th- yeah. to believe shit. That you're doing that you sh- have the ability to see is not true. Yeah, does not is not the mark of a genius. It's the mark of a fool. Well, that's the other thing that's good about the the Hulu documentary is that they actually interview him. Yeah, they actually interview Billy McFarland. I might have to watch that now. I'm telling yep. you, you should watch it. Uh, they interview him and his mother, and there's just a lot, and it just shows you like that this dude is just like fucked up in the head. There's, and it's um, like it's just crazy. Yeah, there's two things I want to go out on a limb and discuss with this situation. First of all, I'm going to start backtrack before I mention the the more of a joking sense. But they showed you too what this video, the promotional video that they shot with the models and everything on Pablo's Island, um, what that created in the aftermath. Because then they started showing you short clips of like these models on planes that they would pay for that didn't even go anywhere, but just to take pictures with yeah. like a green screen next to the window and it looked like you were traveling mm-hmm. this is what's wrong with our world today with the idea of social media instagram and facebook yep. you get to see people living these extravagant lives and they set you up to like believe like you want to aspire to be that when for instance if you're taking that photo in this unmoving plane and you're doing it for the model aspect then women it's guys pathetic. alike create this image of yeah. life and wealth and all this shit when it's fucking fake yep. the same thing in that video that video, you literally paid for an idea. Yeah. You had no clue. You didn't do any backstory to figure out how fucking real it was. I also want to go out to discuss what we haven't mentioned this this whole entire thing. Ja Rule, okay? Ja Rule came up into this. Yeah, I didn't shame even, on Ja Rule. Yeah, I didn't this. even realize he was the most... You want to swim with the fucking pigs? He was, swim with the fucking pigs. He's been so irrelevant. <laughs> you got to see him in this, and he was trying to act like two things. A, that he was a mogul, which, which is bullshit. But then he tried to like flaunt yeah, his weight around like he was... If he is one. Yeah, and he was trying to act like this businessman. like He knew best for situations. I'm telling you right he, now. He knew let's nothing. Put, let's put it out there. There's a scene in this movie. They're sitting down having a conference with the team that tried to create the festival as well as uh, Billy's actual fire team who created this app. Pretty much they're all losing their jobs as a result of Billy's decision for this festival. Ja Rule is on this conference call. One of Billy's employees says, listen, we need to just come out, admit to all this because what we did was fraud. Ja Rule decides to try to trump this fool and say, we... 
I don't think what we he's did like, was called fraud. Yeah, and you can hear when he's saying that. Yeah, that he's like trying to think. He's scrambling to think of uh, some he way, even says something I, else to call it. Yeah, he was yeah. like, I don't think what we did was fraud. It, uh, it was uh, it's called fraud. false it's advertising. False advertising. False yeah. advertising. Ja Rule, I, listen, bud. I'm going to tell you right now, go Google false advertising and see what happens as a result of a company that literally falsifies a brand to try to sell it to somebody else. Sir, that is fraud. This is why you're a jaw rule. This is why 50 Cent bought out your front three rows of your concert because they were sold for a fucking nickel. All right. This is why he owns the right to your music right now. Baby. Yeah, dude, you're you're done, man. Like this was a shot in the dark. It failed. The sad thing is, though, if you (laughs) if you looked at the end of this, Ja Rule actually teamed up with someone else and helped create an app similar to what Fire was supposed to be. Exactly. (laughs) So Billy got fucked. Yeah, Billy's going to fuck. Ja Rule was at the end saying uh, that they could salvage it, and yeah, he was trying. They could make. He tried to compare it to Samsung when those phones were blowing up into people's faces. That like, oh, we can flip this around. Samsung's still selling. That's because it's Samsung. Yeah. yeah, they already built Samsung up had for defective years. material yeah. that people still trusted that they will fix this. You guys did nothing to give them any cushion to say, okay, this was a mistake. It's not like fire's been going on for five years. This just years. shows the mentality of these people. It's not, it's not like they said people. they made one yeah. mistake. It's, it's that you lied and you can't be trusted. And even if you do do something, it's like the boy who cried wolf. Like With a lot done of so money. Much bad exactly. shit that once you do do it, even if you could do anything good, no one's going to give a shit. Like Billy's point. going to federal prison. He went to feds for six. Yeah, he's up in six he's, years. He's He's in yeah. New York State or something. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. Like he went to federal prison. Yeah. Like he's not in a. Fucking he only got six years though. They didn't really throw the book at him or anything. Yeah, but that's until the next time he pulls some shit like. Yeah, this. but he'll yeah, probably, like, he's, uh, he's gonna stay in his cell and not do anything. He'll probably well, get out in three prison. years he can for good play, behavior. Play tennis and shit. I guarantee you. You mark my words. In like three years, four years, we're gonna hear something about him again doing some crazy shit like this. He's gonna be like that Martin Scully dude. He's gonna start craving um the EpiPen guy. Yeah. He's gonna start craving the media mm-hmm. um like just appearing in like tabloids. Well, especially the way social media is now, it's even oh my more God, of an yeah. opportunity for to prey on these types of people. And that's exactly what it is. It's a Connie salesman taking advantage of weak willed people with big bank bank accounts. He still owes that woman from the restaurant like money. She had yeah. to take fifty yeah. grand out of her savings account to pay the workers because she, she felt bad. Life disgusting. Savings. Because yeah. not only did he deceive all these people, but he also deceived like a country. Yeah. Like and, an he, and the guy from Brazil that was actually like setting up to help get these villagers to come help him set up this site. Yeah. He was like, we were so exciting. We haven't had anything like that. He like like literally got a whole like you got two hundred people natives like yeah. supporting this decision. And, and then he excited. had to leave his homeland. Yeah, he had yeah the like, guy that he had to fucking leave. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he him and two hundred people, two hundred him and two hundred migrant laborers basically came to this island. Yeah, two hundred at its peak. It was initially a lot less, and then they kept saying bring more people and put more hours on. I did see yeah. a thing though that in the initial videos, because obviously I had you know the influencers had to trust them. Billy uh, gave the influencers all the Instagram miles two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be able to shoot that video and get them to post that orange tile. I was reading comments, and people were absolutely right. Like Kendall Jenner, two hundred fifty k to her ain't dick. Nope. And they were saying these people who have this type of money should be sending that two hundred fifty thousand dollars back yeah. to those behind, like the Bohemians, and like actually yeah, giving absolutely. them back their worth. Absolutely. And this is the problem. Like you would think Kendall Jenner is probably sitting in her house, like after that happened, and just more worried about the lawsuit potential and like trying to avoid that. But then once it blows over, I don't think at any point in time she felt bad enough to say like, you know, I, I can send two hundred fifty k to these people. No, she didn't care, dude. It's fucking she ridiculous. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, how about you fucking have some empathy for these people? All right. Well, let's give our 
our rating. I would give it an 8.5 out of 10, I'd say. And my yeah. only complaint to bring it down, because I really enjoyed it, like, um, would be that it wasn't in-depth enough. It was a shame that it was yeah. almost like the Spark Notes version of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, like I said, check out the one on Hulu because it gives a little bit more backstory into him. Yeah, into I might, I'm probably going to have to check that out, honestly. Yeah, because like just the Magnesis thing, like that's the only thing. I was like, how yeah. did this fucking guy manage to even like get these people to trust him? That's like me. You know what I mean? Yeah, like coming weird. up with this small idea because they were showing the commercials with him. They look like some like 80s porn video production. Like he's yeah. just selling these Magnesis cards. It was very weird. Uh, but I'm also going to give it exactly that, an 8.5 for that reason um the uh reason being i mean it's a great film it gives a lot of information and the spark note aspect of it it gives you enough where you really understand how fucked up this was yeah you know like the backstory aside don't really need it but i would prefer it yeah i mean for some it's not really necessary because you get the point across the whole movie mm -hmm. gets the exact point across but i just wanted more but 8.5 exactly yeah, how I yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, i'm giving an 8.5 too wow our first unanimous uh reading <laughs> I feel like the only thing that brought this down to an 8.5 for me is just the jaw rule aspect of it. <laughs> 50, cent, 50 Cent should have bought him, too. Yeah, fuck him, dude. Baby, put it on me. Listen, sometimes we get a really hung up on being able to say things about certain artists um, just in the weary aspect of like not wanting to like create any waves, but I'm going to go out there on a limb. What was the fuck song ja he did with J-Lo? Someday. Oh yeah. Um Is it that one that's like If you hey, want me, baby call me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 and he did that song for Fast and Furious. Yeah. Um Murder Inc. or something. Yeah. He sucks, dude. He just that Don't whole movie. Rahu. <laughs> it's just showing you the film us film us. If they want to sit with the pigs, they want to go dig the pigs. Then what, remember when they were sitting on the beach of the bonfire and he's like, get in the fucking water. Oh, my God. And he yelled at the fucking model yeah. and she was like, what is yeah. going on? No, we're, we're, we're going to film this. We're going to film this. I was like waiting for a rape to happen. Yeah. It, it's fucking nuts. And it's funny. I wanted like for them, it's like they have more clout than fucking Ja Rule at that point. That's Ever the funny had. part. Every Instagram model there oh was more God. famous at that point in time than yep. Ja Rule was. Ever was. Yeah. Even in the first Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, Ja Rule definitely has more of a legacy behind him just for the era he came up with. Oh, at he's that point in time, I guarantee you... <laughs> <laughs> he's got a fucking giant <laughs> legacy now. <laughs> That's like... Uh, it's a fraud. It's false advertising. Like, like what the fuck, dude? You might as well start singing. Like that's, don't like that's put not, it on me. That's like me looking at like a bowl of food and being like, "That's not, that's not spaghetti. That's pasta." Fuck. Like, that's Billy. not ham. That's pork. What an idiot, dude. What an idiot. Billy, that's not a car. That's a vehicle. Me. That's not an SUV. That's an Explorer. <laughs> like, what, you're an idiot, dude. It's a crossover. Flat out. All right, so... Um, well, our review, our, our was score was an 8.5. Yeah, so average at 8.5, yeah. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 90. Um, the audience score was an 86. Yeah, so... Uh, IMDb gave it 73%. Metacritic gave it 75%. Um, Brian Tellerico from Roger Ebert says, Fire Festival is a story of shallow excess... How we are in an area with an era, which is how something looks is more important than what it actually is, but also a reminder that everything still has a cost. Facts. 
Um, Judy Berman from Time Magazine. What's most haunting about the about the movie isn't the transformation itself so much as the emptiness of the desire that fuel it. Essentially, the same empty desires that both propelled McFarland and destroyed him. Um, Becky Kukla from the Digital Fix, engaging, enraging, and utterly absurd. Netflix's Fire Festival documentary is an absolute must see. That one is pretty relevant. Yeah, it's on point. Um, yeah, I mean, give it another watch. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, just the parallels of like today's society alone in that video to show like th- that people just really get hung up on image and exclusiveness and things like that, and totally don't even take and be mindful of like what they're actually doing. And like I said too, um, if you get the chance, check out the um, it's called Fire Fraud on Hulu. It, it's a little bit more in depth, and uh, it's another really good watch. Let's roll into our personal suggestions for this week. What do you got, Connor? I'm actually going to suggest uh, that remaster of Marky Moon by Television. Nice. Um, I mean, everyone's heard the beat, the White Album. So, what's yeah. um, what's your recommended track off that title? Good call. Yeah. What do you got for us, Steven? I'm also going to recommend a remaster as well, which was my personal choice of killing is my business and business is good. Uh, obviously, the 2002 remaster version of said album. The song that I am going to recommend, however, off that album is probably going to be, yeah, the fourth track off the album. It's called Rattlehead. Nice. Yeah. I um, I really enjoy that album. It's very good. Um. My recommendation for this week is the Misfits album, Famous Monsters. The nice standalone track from the album that I think everyone should like is Die Monster Die. Um, Famous Monsters is the second album with the second incarnation of the Misfits with singer Michael Graves. And love him or hate him, he was a good vocalist. They wrote some good songs together. And both albums, um, American Psycho and Famous Monsters, were extremely good. But Die Monster Dies is my standout track for that one. Oh, yeah. More of a Fiend Club guy and a guy off that album. Dear Ophelia, I'm I should reckon. I forgot about that album. That'll be for next week. Bring that up next week. <laughs> sneak peek. Yeah. Our suggestion for you this week is to check out the Netflix documentary, What We Started. It basically chronicles the rise and current status of electronic dance music or EDM. It's a pretty solid watch. Uh, We suggest for you guys to check it out. Well, that about wraps it up for this week, listeners. Um, Like we say every week, thank you for listening. Thank you for for your continued support. As long as you guys keep listening, we're going to keep doing this. Um, like we said in last episode, and this is gonna be a uh, you know a thing that happens all the time now. If you're in a band and you want some spotlight on something, you know you want us to showcase your music, you want to be involved, write to us ratmpodcast at gmail dot com. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter dot com slash ratmpodcast. Um, you can find this podcast on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our Podbean app, and the Google Play Music app. This is Rage Against the Mainstream. My name is Bill. Connor. Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening.